Happy Sunday, everybody. So glad uh, that you are here. And uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Uh, Dearly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you hold all things together. There's not a radical molecule in the universe that you do not know about. That everything from the the stars beyond our sight, to the waves of the ocean, to the grains of sand, to the hairs on our heads. Lord, that you know it all, and we can trust you for your goodness and your holiness. We ask in these few moments that you be with us. Give us your peace. Let us grow in hope and faith and understanding. Let us be kind and loving to one another. Father God, in this season, we, we need love. We need your deep love to be shared with others. Uh, It is going to be the thing that will cover the multitude of sins. It will be the thing that brings us together in unity and harmony. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so we are in Matthew. No, we're not Matthew. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. So 1 Peter chapter... Four, verses 12 through 19, and they read as such. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as murderer or as a thief or even an evildoer or even a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer accordingly to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I want to start actually at the end of this passage and not so much at the beginning. Uh, I want us to look at first verses 17 and 18. And um, as I was prepping the sermon and as I, I kind of read back through First Peter a few more times this week and today, uh, the, the, the theme of suffering keeps coming back up. Uh, Peter, I think we, we recognize that much like if we had received a letter in the mail or an email or even like when we received the newspaper, we we often in one sitting read the whole thing. And so the, the letter of Peter was intended to be read at one time to a group of people in the hearing of all at, at one point so they could receive it all at once. But what we do is we go by book by book and chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible we're trying to hone in to specific things that are said 
uh, so that we can grow in our faith, our knowledge, and our understanding. And so as we look at this, it's not another sermon on suffering. This isn't what this is about, but it is important that we continue to know why we suffer. And, and that's why I want us to look first at verse 17 and 18. It says, For it is time for judgment. Uh, Peter is saying that there is judgment coming presently. Uh, we, we do sit to know that we die and we'll go before the judgment seat of God and we will be given we have to give an account of our our, our actions, of our entire life. Uh, there's some passages that says we will give an account for every careless word we speak. And, and so ultimately it is on us today, till the day we stand before God, that we act in good conduct, that we act in holiness. That's what, what Peter calls us to do earlier in the book. And, and so we, we see that there is this coming judgment and Peter says, it starts with the household of God. So it starts with you and me as fellow believers that it starts with us, that with us, the judgment comes. And then he makes this statement in verse 18, if the righteous are scarcely saved, and, and it and it kind of struck me, and, and I've read it a few times, and it's like, wow, what what does that mean? Where, where does that take us? Um, I haven't done the book of... Gospel of Matthew with you all, but you're probably familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, uh, Jesus makes this statement, and, and it's a big one. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, says, Unless your, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and so the scarcely saved isn't some Peter saying something random. He's not trying to scare us into good works. He's not trying to scare us into righteousness. He's actually said that we are righteous if the righteous, that's our would be our title, are scarcely saved. That means what is the standard, the threshold for salvation? So Jesus says these words in Matthew 5 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot be saved. I actually in my Bible I wrote, then how are we saved? Well, the answer to that is we are saved by the righteousness of Christ. That is inputted into us, that we are sinners. We repent of our sins. We confess our sins. That Christ's blood cleanses us, makes us clean. And because we dwell in Christ, we are given his righteousness. Jesus says it another way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14. He says, the way is narrow to eternal life. That the way itself, the pathway itself to, to, to eternal life is narrow. And there's a narrow gate to walk through. And it says few will find it. Uh, in another Bible study, I've been doing uh, Psalms 23, right? The, the beautiful psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. He, it says he restores my soul. And then it says, and he leads me in paths of righteousness. And I, and I got to do some studying and I found this video. And, you know, for Floridians, uh, the tallest peak for us is uh, Sp Space Mountain in Walt Disney World, right? So we're not used to walking up and down mountains. And uh, in this video, they, they show this hill country and, and the, the sides of the mountain are, are pretty steep. But you could see in the size of the mountain these little footpaths. They were they were no more than 
a foot to 16 inches wide, maybe 18 inches wide at the most, that, that came down the mountain ever so gradually. And the narrator was saying that it is in on those paths that the shepherd would lead the sheep down the mountain. He would lead them up and over on one side, but he would make this wandering path down the other. Because if the sheep just went up and over the hill, you can imagine they would, you know, it's like that great parable that we learned as kids. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pair of water. Jack fell down and bumped his crown and Jill came tumbling after. It's that that mindset, if we try to, try to go straight down the mountain, we're going to end up getting hurt. But there are paths of righteousness. There's a way to walk as believers. And so this is part of that scarcely saved that and Jesus finishes by saying that the way to destruction is wide and many will find it. Jesus also says these words uh, in Matthew 12, uh, 36, we will be judged even by our careless words. That's what I had mentioned earlier, that, that we will be judged not just by our actions, but by our words, which means we'll be judged for our thoughts and our intentions. Next, it says that we are to uh, it's a requirement to carry our cross. There's a, a act of self-denial and we, we lay down our, our life and we pick up Christ in Matthew 16, 24. And lastly, and maybe the most hard for all of us to do as an adult, as a person who's lived a life, a person who owns a home and has a job and own, has a family, Jesus says these beautiful words in Matthew 18, 3 through 4. He basically says, Unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then verse 4, he starts off with, Unless you humble yourself as a child. Now, there's a difference from being childish and being a child. There are many grown-ups who act very childish. That, that the way we act is very selfish and self-exalting and self-glorifying. We act in our own best interest. We fight over the last slice of pizza. We fight for our place in line. We, we, we stomp our feet and throw attention when we don't, things don't go our way or if we don't think that they're fair. But yet a child, and having two of my own, know that there's some uh, innocence that comes with the child that... When I talk to my son or I talk to my daughter and I ask them to do something or I encourage them to to just come sit with me and we cuddle and we hug and we embrace and they hear my words and they heed my words and they follow my words and they ask for my opinion and they need my insight because they're living their own life. Children still live their own lives. My daughter lives her own life. My son lives his own life, but they come to me as their father and, and, and I, I lead them and guide them. And so ultimately for all of us, to be, to be saved requires us to be humble like children. And, and everything else that I said, that we surrender under Christ, that we come to him knowing the gospel and obeying the gospel. So, so we take that then verse 19, it says, Therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is the sweetest sigh of relief. Because everything I just listed, just the concept of having this 
excelled level of righteousness. And the Pharisees were known for being super righteous, for uh, finding the narrow path, for guarding our words. And I know in this season, there's a lot of people who have been very, very careless with their words. The requirement for us to carry our cross and follow and even to practice humility like a child. That that even actually, that the, the salvation of our souls isn't based on our merit. It is based on the faithfulness of God. That's what that says. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. So it's, it's like uh, getting a safety deposit box at a bank. We, we, we take something valuable that we want to keep safe and we take it to a secure place. We place it in a box. It's locked behind a door. The door is in a vault. The vault itself has a door and there's more bars and there's guards and there's alarm systems and there's security because it's being kept safe. So imagine how much more valuable your soul is to God and that he is absolutely positively able to guard it. And I think that's why Peter chose the word creator. Because the idea is, is we're entrusting our soul to the one who actually made it. It's like buying a, a car. I, I used to work for my father-in-law who was a mechanic. And, and people always wanted to go to the dealer uh, to get their car fixed for certain issues. They'd allow us to put on tires and change the oil. But they were absolutely adamant of either having OE parts, original equipment, or going to the dealer to have repairs done. Because they felt that the best person to fix their car was the people who manufactured it, the people who certified the technicians. So I think for us, we can take great hope in that God is faithfully guarding our souls. Right? That even that echoes back to what we saw at the beginning, all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded, right, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So that is the encouragement for us that we can look to the scriptures to know that they're true, to trust God with our hearts, that even in the midst of the craziness of this world, that we can have hope. And I feel that for many, that hope is the one thing that we've, that we're losing, that we've lost, that we've misplaced, that we've somehow, it's been muddied or, or blurred um, just because of all the slurry of information that's coming at us. So, up to the top. Verse 12. Beloved. The terminative endearment. I, he's saying, people whom I love, do not be surprised. <laughs> it's, it, it's like, come on now. It, 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 because you can imagine that there were some people who were like, oh my gosh, I'm being tested. What's going on? Well, it's, it's, I love how he says this, as though something strange were happening to you. Um, we, we know from the Lord, the words of our Savior, all the way back to Matthew chapter 6 or 5, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. So we have to know, we have to believe that it should not be, it's not a surprise to God and it surely should not be a surprise to us when we face a trial, when we face a test, 
And, and there's actually maybe nothing more out of it than a test to see if it's faithful and true. It's not a means of a reward. It's not a means of a, some kind of gain. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you've done something bad. Uh, take the story of Job. I, and I'm certain Job was surprised when he heard the news of his children dying and his livestock being stolen and his property, property being destroyed. And then he loses his health. And, and, and for no apparent reason, we, we know that the Satan, Satan, goes before God to say, will you test your servant Job? And so he does. And in the end, God reveals himself to Job, has this long dialogue about his majesty and his might. That's part of what I prayed this morning earlier. And then, and just as fast as it came, it went away and his household was restored and his property was restored and his health was restored. Not because anything Job did, but just out of the kind and loving mercy of God, it, it happened. And therefore, verse 13, but rejoice. So don't act surprised as if something strange happening, but rejoice in so far as. So in comparison to, or in the same way as, or in the same distance in so far as, we share with Christ's suffering that we may rejoice and that we might be glad. It is, it is a story of the first century church that um, I, I think of it in Acts where, where Peter and John are, are beaten and arrested by the Sanhedrin, the council of the Jewish people. Uh, and they said, uh, their words are something along the lines of, they rejoiced with gladness because they were counted worthy of the name of Christ to suffer in like manner. And so we, we too just cannot be surprised, but we find a way to rejoice. And this, this isn't that weird sadistic means of, oh, yay, I broke my arm, yay, let's suffer. But it is a means of going, you know what, this is going to be for the good of something. Why? Because verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And you're going to say, Pastor Josh, that sounds terribly backwards. How am I actually blessed? How am I finding happiness in the insults that are slung towards me. If you are on the righteous path, as I said before, if you are walking the straight and narrow, if you are following after the good shepherd and people revile against you or come against you in the name because you are walking in the name of Christ, it's a blessing because you can now know that you're walking in the name of Christ. And that's the blessing. It's not the blessing that you're being spat upon or, or mocked or made fun of, but it's out of your obedience that you know that you're on the right path. And, and I just want to keep encouraging you all, stay on the good path. Stay, stay on this path to follow after Jesus. I think as we approach an election year, or as we are in an election year, as we approach the elections, as we, we move forward, uh, we will be divided. <clears throat> And, and we as Christians have a responsibility to be united, that we united first and foremost under Christ. And then it, it, it goes down the rest of the line from, um, for whatever reason. I, and you know what? I don't even know, as I said that, I think it really made me ponder that, that our, un, your, our identification should first be in Christ and that truly should be sufficient. <coughs> And therefore, 
Now, it, it is, there's a uh, comparison from verse 14 to verse 15, right? That uh, because the Spirit of God, uh, uh, the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you, but let no one suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. And he's, so he's saying that if if someone is being insulted or reviled or arrested or persecuted, whatever the level is, and it's because they've committed a crime, we shouldn't rejoice in that because they've done something wrong. But if we're doing what's right, right? Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let them glorify God in that name. That there's just this balance. And I think there are unfortunately a time and place where, where there are people, much like here in the Bible, that some people tote the, the name of Christian, but maybe they really aren't Christian. Maybe they they just like to say it because it's popular or it makes people think better of them. Uh, but that's hard, and, and it and it is a reason to suffer. You know, if we we do something wrong and we get caught, you know, just like you know, probably when you were a kid and your mom caught you with a hand in the cookie jar, right? And and you got you know uh, disciplined for it. But if we are walking in an upright manner, if we're walking in a way that honors God, and somehow an insult comes our way because we live differently. It's okay. It, it it's just a, helping you know that you are on the right path, and I think that's why we can find this great encouragement in this section. That we should not look at our our salvation in a boastful way, in a way that um, makes us better than anybody else. But it, to know that we are scarcely saved, that that it's we just made it. And not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done in us and for us. So let's pray. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives us that Christ paid the price. He cleansed us of our iniquities. And that way, as we follow after, if we're insulted or reviled or persecuted, come under trials, we know it is for your sake and your honor and your glory that we can trust you to guard our hearts and minds and our souls. I thank you for my friends at Baldomero. I thank you for the staff and the administration and the doctors and the nurses and the cooks and the cleaners and the residents and all in between. Lord, I just pray for your mercy and your peace to be about them. I pray that they have hope today, strength for tomorrow that they, they can continue through today, that they can find unity and harmony through their good works, that they can find it in Jesus. Lord, I just pray for your peace and your comfort, continued provision, wisdom, and guidance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Very well said, Josh. Thank you, Don. You're welcome. Okay, have a good week. Okay? You too. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Okay. Bye.